you're listening to the Primary Medicine Podcast with Kevin and Dimitri, bringing you the best in primary care CME that you can use in your everyday practice. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Primary Medicine Podcast. Uh, my name is Dr. Dimitri, and I'll be flying solo today. I'll be talking about a topic that is becoming more and more prominent. I remember when I was a medical student, which was around 10 years ago, we hadn't heard as much about this, but it's, I think it's quite important, and that's acquired long QTC syndrome. Now, what made me want to talk about this is a case. It was a, it was a child in my practice who was diagnosed with autism, but functional, quite functional, and relatively severe ADHD. So he had been put on, I think, Concerta. He'd been on for oh, since, uh, since he was five, and now he was 11 years old. What happened was that one night his mother woke up for some reason around 4 o'clock in the morning and decided to check on him, which, you know, was odd because she never really does that. But when she went to his room, she found a face down on the floor. He had uh, had a cardiac arrest. Thankfully, she was able to perform CPR and he was brought to the emergency and, you know, didn't have any issues afterwards. It could have gotten much, much worse if she hadn't found him. It could have been... A brain dead, he could have died. Again, matters intuition saved the day. But what had happened is this 11-year-old was discovered to actually have an acquired, sorry, a congenital long QTC syndrome, which was exacerbated by the concerta he was taking. And that's ultimately what put me on to talking about this issue. Now, I won't, this, I won't talk about congenital QTC, even though that's what the case is. I'll talk about acquired QTC because it's a lot more common. Just as a reminder, the QT interval represents the time it takes for the ventricles to go through the depolarization and repolarization process. It is heart rate dependent, obviously. So that's why we do a QTC interval. We're just correcting the QT interval for the heart rate because otherwise it's hard to, to standardize the QT lanes between patients since every patient will have a different heart rate. The problem with prolonged QTC is it can cause premature action potentials during the late phases of depolarization. So the longer that phase lasts, the more likely you might have premature action potentials, which ultimately can lead to ventricular arrhythmias, such as torsade de pointe, or even fatal ventricular fibrillation. Really, torsade de pointe can resolve spontaneously in some cases or can degenerate to VFib and can cause death. The definition of long QTC is based on the length of the segment on a resting ECG. So in males, a normal QTC is less than 430 milliseconds. Borderline is between 430 to 450 and prolonged is 450 and above. In females, a normal is less than is less than 450, so 20 more than the males. Borderline is 450 to 470, so again a range of 20 milliseconds, and prolonged is over 470. So again, to remember, a couple of numbers is for males is 450, and for females is 470. Okay, if you remember the male one, you add 20, you get to the female one. What's interesting about this condition is that it's it's actually relatively prevalent. If you look at the statistics, it can vary anywhere from 3% of the general population and up to 30% of the 
of critically ill patients in the ICU. Of course, it makes sense since acquired QTC syndrome is mostly caused by medications. Now, there's some other causes I'll talk about, but the more medications you have that prolong the QT, the more likely you are to have long QTC syndrome. It's a, and when you think about it, this is pretty common. So most family doctors will see probably around 100 to 200 patients, 300 patients even a week. Uh, and if a prevalence of 3% would say that talking about maybe five or six of these patients, depending on how many you see, may have this issue. It's, it's common. It, it, you, you probably will see a patient within a month practicing medicine that probably has this issue. And if you're in the ICU, you're likely dealing with this issue all the time. The biggest risk factor for acquired long QTC syndrome is actually medications. Medications that cause prolongation of the QTC interval. But there's some other risk factors. Some people are more, more, much more prone to this. Females, two to three times more at risk for developing this than males. People with diabetes. People with obesity. People with cardiac conditions. So past cardiac infarcts, hypertension, congestive heart failure, and people who are hypothyroid. Well, those are some risk factors. So, and again, if you look at some of these, it, it would make sense that the ICU population has such a high prevalence because a lot of them have probably diabetes and probably do have cardiac condition. Really, the, the cause is, is, is a combination of your risk factors along with medications, and some electrolyte abnormalities. The two electrolyte abnormalities which are most, uh, put you most at risk is hypokalemia, so, because again, you have clinically to the point, and hypomagnesemia. So if you have somebody with what you think is acquired long QTC syndrome, you should certainly look at those two electrolytes. But more importantly, we're talking about the medications. There's a really long list of medications which prolong the QTC. And I think the best website I found is called iscrediblemeds.org. They also have an app, by the way. Uh, so my patient, so his mom has that app. So whenever she sees a doctor and there's a medication being prescribed for her, she will check if it's an appropriate one. Now, the way I try to remember the drugs that cause it is I try to remember the broad categories of drugs. Usually, if you take two or more of these, you're at higher risk, especially higher risk for having this. So let's talk about broad categories because it's much easier to remember those than specific drugs. So number one is your antidepressants, specifically the SSRIs and the tricyclics. Number two are your antibiotics, so your macrolides and fluoroquinolones, so azithromycin, clarithromycin, levofloxacin, moxifloxacin. So antidepressants, antipsychotics, uh, sorry, antibiotics. Number three is antipsychotics. So that risperidone and your anti-ADHD meds, such as methylphenidate, which in this case, which is what happened in, in, uh, in, in my case. Um, so antipsychotics, antiemetics, such as metoclopramide, and antiarrhythmics, such as amiodarone. Okay, so it's the anti-drugs, antidepressants, antibiotics, antipsychotics, slash anti-ADHD meds, antiemetics, and antiarrhythmics. Okay. If you see a patient who has two or three of these categories of drugs, you should consider screening for this, uh, this issue. Thankfully, uh, most EMRs, if not all EMRs, will actually look 
when you prescribe a medication, we'll actually we'll check for this issue. They'll check for long QTC interactions. That's great. And if you don't prescribe a med, you can ask your pharmacist if you have one at your clinic to take a look. They have a patient. If you have a patient with twenty medications, it's worth certainly worth talking to your to your pharmacist or you yourself sitting down and taking a look at what they're taking. The more medications you take, the more likely you have this issue. Now, interestingly enough, this is. In terms of diagnosis, this is a presentation. It most of the time it will present as an incidental finding on an EKG. You've done the EKG for some reason, and you see oh, there's a prolonged QTC. Or in some cases, you've done the EKG because, as I suggested, they're taking a lot of medications. Oh, and again, there's a prolonged QTC. In some patients who are symptomatic, well, they they might complain of episodes of palpitations, of presyncope, and syncope. So that's why going back to syncope management, you should always do an EKG to check for the QTC. In some cases, you get you have sudden cardiac arrest, and in some cases, you have death. So, in case of my of my patient, it was a cardiac arrest situation. The physical exam is unremarkable. If you see them, you will not be able to see anything on physical exam. I suggest that that's the issue. Although, if if Maybe they might have an irregular rhythm, but that's unlikely. Diagnosis is mostly based on EKG, as I mentioned. So you should always order an EKG. And in terms of suggested blood works, blood work, potassium, magnesium, and if there's some issues with those two, they're hypomagnesemic or hypokalemic, you should fix those issues. Figure out why and fix those issues. Remember, magnesium, low magnesium can be caused by PPIs, a very common cause of hypomagnesemia. Lots of people are on PPIs, right? Consider doing a calcium. Consider doing a fasting blood glucose because, again, diabetes can be a risk factor, but also low blood glucose can mimic some syncope. And consider doing a TSH. You can do a Holter monitor as a follow-up, but it's often ordered by cardiology because ultimately if you see prolonged QTC, I mean, one thing you need, we'll talk about in treatment, radiology consult. Okay. Note that if the QTC prolonged is prolonged, most likely you're talking about acquired QTC syndrome, but you need to consider that there's also a chance of having a congenital issue. Really, your treatment as a GP is, is simple. Is if, if you think it's an acquired QTC syndrome, you do a medication review and you try to eliminate the drugs that are causing it. You can do that before sending them to cardiology. That's the treatment. If they have issues with their potassium or magnesium, find a reason why and fix it. Diabetes, thyroid issues, again, fix those issues that put them at risk. If the QTC persists being prolonged, after you fix those issues, they go to cardiology because they need to rule out that it's an acquired problem. Or you could, if you're not comfortable, and if the patient presented with a worrisome symptom, such as syncope, you may want to send them to cardiology immediately. If they just presented an incidental finding of QTC, I would first try and review their medications before before sending to cardiology. And uh, I would do that blood work as, as I suggested. Now, obviously, if you're doing eMERGE and you have somebody coming in with tertiary deployment, you need to manage that in hospital. You give IV mag sulfate. Uh, you make sure the potassium is a good level. You may need to temporary paste them or do a continuous IV infusion of things such as isoproterenol, which is a big beta agonist, which obviously if they're unstable, you need to fibrillate. So 
if a patient with QTC presents to your eMERGE, usually it's because they are a, they need ACLS, they need you know, proper cardiac care. So you go through those protocols. So again, to, to summarize, acquired long QTC syndrome is relatively relatively common. You probably will have one or two patients a month that have this. You may not know they have it. Usually it's asymptomatic, but when it is symptomatic, it will present with palpitations, presyncope, or syncope. If you suspect it, you should do an EKG, and if the EKG shows prolonged QTC, for men it's over 450, for women it's over 470 milliseconds, you should do further blood work, including potassium, magnesium, calcium, blood glucose, and thyroid. And you should do a medication review to try and figure out if there is a medication that is causing this problem. Again, your big broad categories of medications which can cause this issue are your antidepressants, your tricyclics specifically, your antibiotics or the macrolides for quinolones, your antipsychotics, anti-ADHD medications, the antiemetics and antiarrhythmics. If you identify that they are taking too many QTC prolonging medications, you can try to take them out, take them off those, or switch them to something else if possible. You can try to fix the potassium magnesium abnormalities. If they have presented to your office with episode of syncope, I would send them to cardiology. Okay, if it's an incidental finding, you can try. I, I personally would try and review the medications, talk to my pharmacist. But if it's a symptomatic finding, I would send them to cardiology. If after you remove those medications and fix those issues, they still have QTC problems, then you send them to cardiology again. Okay, if, if you're an eMERGE doc and they comment with, uh, you know, with a comment with the point or a ventricular arrhythmia, then obviously you treat them the way you should using ACS protocols. Hopefully that summary was helpful. Personally, in terms of my practice, because, because of this case, and I'm not saying it's the best practice here. I Kids that I put on ADHD medication, I would do an EKG before. And I might repeat one after, within a year after I put them on. Again, that is my approach. Um, the, if you look at some of the suggestions, they usually say if there's two medications. But considering, considering what happened with this patient, you can see how my pressure was changed. So hopefully this was helpful. And... We'll be back again next month, and I think Kevin's coming in to talk about pediatrics again. Mm -hmm.